Well, thank you again for having me, and um, let's pray before we encounter God's Word. Our Heavenly Father, Lord, we come to you in need of, of you revealing yourself to us. We need your grace and your kindness and your presence this morning. Lord, as we encounter your Word, would you illuminate it for our hearts so that we can know who you are, so that we can worship you rightfully, so that we can be blessed by you. And leaving here today as people who find ourselves deeper in love with who you are. Lord, would you encourage us in, in where we put our efforts? We all invest in things. We all put our work towards something. Lord, would, you, would we glorify you in all that we do and have the courage and ability to do that in every area of our life? Be with us now as we spend time having a conversation with you as you speak to us in your word, and as we open our hearts and our ears to hear what you have to say. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Well, I want to give you a, a brief background before we get into this passage, a background on my journey as a church planner, and really my journey as in ministry and as a Christian. I became a Christian August 19th, 2000. So this August will be 13 years you know, I knew, of, I knew Jesus loved me. I just, I never really gave much thought to it. I heard that before, but it never affected my life in a real way until that day. It changed everything for me when I realized that I was a sinner in need of God's love, that I was deserving of, of real punishment because I had betrayed Him, I had wandered from Him, I had sinned against Him and, and broken all of His laws. I knew that so well. I knew it in my heart because I had run from him. There was a day where I told him out loud even. This is how hurting I was. And out loud in my room by myself, I said, God, I will never follow you. And he had other plans. <laughs> in fact, three days later, I was on my face weeping, asking for his forgiveness. And two things were certain for me at that point on August 19th, 2000 that I could never again ever be justified in my right mind of doubting God ever again. And the second thing was I wanted people to feel exactly what I was feeling. I wanted people to know exactly what I had come to know of who Jesus was and who I was and, and how he changes us and loves us and how great of a thing that was. And so I started interning in youth ministry I worked with middle school students, and that part-time job turned into a full-time job when I graduated from the University of Arizona. I started going to seminary. That full-time job turned into more responsibility, and I commuted up to Phoenix Seminary once a week while I was working here in town with high school now and middle school students. And this gave me opportunity to, to practice, really, to starting to apply what, I, what God had made known to me about the gospel to work through Scripture, to teach, teach people about who God was and what His Word has says, says to us. I felt called at that time to full-time ministry, and it was pretty clear that I, I knew I wanted that to be a long-term pursuit of mine, to be in full-time ministry. And one night, driving home from Phoenix Seminary after a really long class, and it was late at night, probably close to midnight, driving down the highway, I was tired, and I became suddenly distracted. I became just burdened. There was a lot going on that day. I was tired. I had sit, sit through uh, 
uh, many lectures that day. I was mentally exhausted, physically exhausted, but now I felt just spiritually burdened. And I, so much so, I had to pull my car over to the side of the road and just stop. And it was there that I felt that God had placed on my heart. He said, if you do not plan a church, you're being disobedient to me. So much so, I had to call my friend on the phone and, and call him and say, I need to tell somebody this because I feel like if I don't say something out loud to somebody, then I will, I will be forced or I'll be tempted to pretend it never happened. And I said, God, I feel, is calling me to plan a church. Will you not let me forget that? And he said, absolutely. And he's one of our men who are going through the elder training with us now. So we're in our third year of church plan. And, and it's been difficult. But one thing has remained. I still have no justifiable reason to doubt God, to question what he has done and what he's doing now and what he will do. Because if he took a sinner like me, someone who has run from him, and said, I will be with you, I will love you, and nothing can change that. I said, God, if this is true, then everything that you say, I have no reason to ever doubt. I have no reason to ever say, well, there's got to be another way. There's got to be a better way. I can't share with you everything there is to know about church planning. I feel privileged to be a part of this missions month to come in and talk to you about church planning, how it relates to the mission of, the, of God, of, of the gospel. Some of you might even know more about church planning than I do. I, in fact, I know very little. But I'd love to share with you my experience, God's word, and how it has impacted me, and how we can together as God's people come together and, and have our capacity to to see God's gospel and his mission just expand in our lives and in our heart. And I hope that that will be a time of, of worship for us. So here's the bottom line. Church planting is a vital instrument that God uses to fulfill his mission. And not only that, it is a vital instrument of the renewal of Christ's church. So it is a vital instrument for renewing churches that aren't church plants, or maybe were a church plant a decade ago, or two decades ago. So church planting is, is such an important instrument that God uses to, to fulfill his mission, but also to revitalize, renew his church all over the world. And that's what I hope to explain this morning. And so let's turn to our passage and approach this with, with open ears and, and an open heart. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, I'll allow you to, to find your place there. And I'm going to start reading in verse 1, chapter 3. But I, brothers, could not address you as spiritual people, but as people of the flesh. As infants in Christ, I fed you with milk, not solid food, for you were not ready for it. And even now you are not ready. For you are still of the flesh, for while there is jealousy and strife among you, are you not of the flesh and behaving only in a human way? For when one says, I follow Paul, and another, I follow Apollos, are you not being merely human? What then is Apollos? What is Paul? Servants through whom you believed, and as the Lord assigned to each, I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God who gives the growth. He who plants and he who waters are one, and each will receive his wages according to his labor. For we, we are God's fellow workers. You are God's field, God's building. 
According to the grace of God given me, like a skilled master builder, I laid a foundation, and someone else is building upon it. Let each one take care how he builds upon it. For no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now if anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each one's work will become manifest, for the day will disclose it, because it will be revealed by fire, and the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. If the work that anyone has built on the foundation survives, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, though he himself will be saved, but only as through fire. Do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in you? If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him, for God's temple is holy, and you are that temple. I want to prepare you for some words that you are likely to hear this month. Because you can't get through missions month without hearing words like harvest, soil, seeds, plant, field. We've pretty much said all those words already this morning. And you're going to hear it more and more. And if people might walk in here and hearing these conversations, they might think they're part of a horticulture club and not a church worship service. (laughs) But God loves to use metaphors like this. He loves to speak to us in these terms. Like farming and planting, horticulture. He uses analogies that are related to nature. Farming and harvesting and planting and watering and nurturing. And even the difficult work of pruning, all of these words and analogies Jesus will use and God will use through his word to, to let us know what is his kingdom like? What does his mission involve? The work of God's mission is the building up of his body, of which Christ is the head. It's the work of nature. It's the work of really supernature. It is supernatural. It's a supernatural work that God does in our midst. And here's how I've learned to come to learn about God's mission. This man, a pastor called Chan Kilgore in Orlando, Florida, and he sees that there are three parts to the mission of God that I have learned to, to also believe in. One is the gospel story, and this is Jesus Christ ruling and reigning over all of creation and, and knowing about this story of, of his kingdom. The second part is the gospel method, and so it's applying this story of Jesus Christ and his kingdom to our life, and applying it to our own circumstances, our own heart, applying it to our lives and our families and our neighborhoods. And lastly, the gospel motivation. It's answering that question, what drives us? What drives us then to know the story, apply the story, and then live out the story, and be sent as missionaries all over the world? Excuse me. So we look at these things, the story of Christ's redemption, the living out of that story as it's applied to our life, and the compelling motivation in our life to, to go and be sent, to make disciples. It's a good understanding, then, of the mission of God. That is the mission of God. And the reason I planted was really to pursue that mission, to be a part of that mission. And it was so easy to get distracted about that mission. I I imagine that you, even though you might not be a church planner, that you are distracted from time to time of the mission of God. You're distracted from it through your circumstances. And for me, you know what distracted me from my mission that God had called me to? 
was questions by other Christians about my church. You know the three most common questions that were ever asked of a church planner? Where do you meet? And we didn't meet anywhere. This was just a, it was a conception in my head. How many do you, how many people go to your church? It was like eight. <laughs> and the third question was, do we really need another church? Those three questions were ones that I got so often. And they were ones that really hurt me, that, that tempted me to be distracted, to be discouraged. If you want to hurt a church planter, ask him those three questions. If you want to bless a church planter, say, how can we pray for you, which you have done, which you do regularly, and, and I'm blessed by it. But see, there's distractions. And you know what questions actually have encouraged me? In my conversations with a lot of non-Christians about church planning. So they say, oh, what do you do? And I was like, oh, I'm actually starting, you know, I'm a, I'm a pastor. I'm, I'm actually starting a church. And you know what they say? They say, that seems like really hard work. I say, it is. They say, how do you even do that? Where do you even begin? And I feel a sense of relief. I begin to talk about the mission of God. Questions like that, they, they start to, they entice me. They tempt me to talk about the mission of God. And I get refocused. This is why we're doing what we're doing. This is why Christ is planting churches all the time. I want to modify these three parts of the mission to really fit our, uh, our title, really. And, and what I want to talk about today is that church planning is the work of God's mission because it renews the church. Those three things I want to talk about this morning is church planning is part of God's mission because it renews our appetite for God's story. It renews our appetite for God's story. Secondly, it renews our participation in the gospel. And thirdly, church planning is vital for God's mission because it renews our motivation to pursue God's glory. And this is something that all of us participate in, whether you're a church planner, whether you're part of a church plant, or whether you are a part of a church that is sending out people for church planning. It's good for you to be encouraged of how church planning fits in to the mission of God. And so let's look at the first one, is that it renews our appetite for God's story. In Corinth, Paul is writing to this church, this church that he planted, this new church that had lost sight of the power of the gospel. They were concerned with human power and human wisdom, and they had become distracted. And Paul is writing to them, and he says, you've forgotten about Jesus. You have forgotten about the gospel story. You have forgotten about your, your first true love. When I planted this church, he says, I built it on the gospel. On Christ, I laid its foundation, who adopted us as his beloved children, who places his spirit within us, who restores us, who satisfies our soul, who forgives and saves us from our sins. And you added to it. You added to the gospel. You added to the story with your own mess, your own temptations, your own wisdom, your own worldly ambitions. You detracted from the pure gospel. That's what Paul is saying to these people at this church. Paul shows us in this passage that all of us are part of the story of God. And at church plan, it's easy to do this. It's easy because the first, really the first year of a church plan is spent just trying to convince people to come along with you and do what you're doing. It's trying to convince people that they are a part of a bigger story to get them energized, to get them excited, to get them, to get them motivated to know this story and that they are a part of it. In a church plant, there can be this 
hunger for that story that maybe was forgotten in someone's life. You know, the life of a Christian can be a very long one. It can be short, but it can definitely be a long journey with many ups and downs and many trials of, of many different kinds. And church planning, if done well, can give opportunity for people to to be renewed in, in their participation in the story of God. There's something about a church plant in my experience that I've seen is that there is such an aggressive saturation of the gospel talk in everything that we do. It helps people see God's ability to save them without distinction of their Background of their circumstance, of their life, of their socioeconomic status, of their area of town they live in, or whatever. I saw two very clear examples of this in the early stages of our church plant. One was when we were just a group of like eight or ten people meeting in my home and praying. We, were, we met and we talked about this church plant and prayed that God would guide us, that he would bring people to be a part of this. But also we prayed... We, we brought up just prayer needs. And one of those needs was we, was 20, we were $20,000 short of really getting on the ground and going to the field and actually getting started to kind of that startup seed money. $20,000 short to really feel like we were, were ready to go out there, have the resources that we needed to go and start the plant. We prayed about where we would get that money, that God would bring it to us. And at the end of this meeting, we went to the kitchen began to clean up some food that we and plates that we had brought out for dinner. People were leaving, and there was one family that stayed around. And they came up to us and said, we're going to take care of the $20,000. You really want to know what came to my mind? I thought, oh, that's great. So you're going to put out flyers, and maybe you're going to network, and you know, what are you going to do? And we're going to take care of the $20,000. We're going to take care of the $20,000. Like, we're ready to go. Now, there are a couple reasons why they might have said this. One, they had an agenda, and they wanted to impose their agenda, and they wanted to be a part of this church plant because they finally wanted to make it their church, and they wanted to have influence in that church. Or there was another reason, that the gospel story had come alive in them once again, and their vision for the gospel was so renewed that they were just so satisfied by it that they wanted to give everything that they could to be a part of that gospel renewal that they had found in a church plant. Church plants have the ability, and regular church, churches that have been around for many years have the ability to do this as well, but there's something unique about church planting that just renews this gospel-saturated ambition. And And it reminds people that you are part of a grand story. You are part of a story that was set in place way before you were even born. And Christ is calling you into this story. And I think when people hear that, and they start to see it working out in their life, the Spirit works in their heart, and they say, what what will we not give to be a part of this story? To find our joy in this story? Another example was this family that was part of this initial group. And we talked a lot about the gospel. We talked about how God's love is not based on what we do for him, but is, is based in spite of that. It's because he loves us. that The gospel then transforms us, and it actually it transforms us and motivates us to treat people with a gospel of grace and mercy. 
that we want our church, we said we want our church to be a place where non-Christians come. We want our church to be a place where seekers will come and say, tell me about this story of Jesus. We want them to be among us and to sit with us. And after talking about that at great length, the family said, would you come over to our house tonight? We wanted to talk with you. And every time, I don't know what it is, it's my, maybe my Jewish background, I'm a very pessimistic person. <laughs> I think everything, everybody just wants to tell me bad news all the time. And if someone wants me over at their house, surely they have some dreadful news that they have to tell me. And this was no exception. I thought, they want me, someone in our church wants me to come over to their house. They're going to tell me that uh, they hate me and they're never coming back. Right? Uh, they're going to another church that has a better kids program. Uh, they're going to a church that has you know, better, better worship, uh, better, better preaching. I mean, I'm convinced that anytime someone wants to have a meeting with me, it's something horrible. And, and I've proven wrong every single time. I don't know when I'm going to learn. But I go over to their house alone, and I go, and I, and I, I pray in my car before I leave. And before I, before I go into their house, I get prayed up, and I say, God, whatever happens, just be with me, and I know you love me, and I know I don't need to doubt you, and you're going to take care of me. And um, I go into their house, and they open the door, and, and the parents are just weeping. Oh, I'm like, oh, they feel really bad about what they're going to say to me. <laughs> you know, how do I, you know, this is, this is miserable. And I said, what's wrong? And they said, could you tell us more about the gospel and, and how it changes us? And, and, I, and I started talking, this is what this means, that God takes these messy people, He takes these broken people, that He, he loves us in spite of who, all that we are and all that we have not done for Him. And he, he lifts us up, and He gives us new life, and He gives us a new breath of, the, of, of freedom in Him. And, and He wants that for everybody, and He calls us to be that for other people. And they looked at me and said, we believe that. But do you realize, if we really believe that, how much is going to have to change in our life? They are thinking through all their life and everything that they do in their life. And they, realize, they realize if we're a part of this church, do you, do you imagine how uncomfortable it will be for us? And I said, I think that's the point. I think the point is that we would change. That we would look at our life and say, Lord, so much needs to be changed. The way I engage with my neighbors, the way that I view my home as a place of hospitality and not something to be hoarded, the way I view my money, the way I view my own heart as I think about people. And it is scary. And I've seen that. And that's when I see that, that church planning invites people into the story of God in a new way. And it renews their excitement for it. Because it doesn't give people a way out. When a church plant has done well and started well, that doesn't give, a pe- give people a way out. It says, we are about the gospel, and your life must be about the gospel, and everything you do must be about the gospel. And it's going to hurt. It's going to be painful. It's going to stretch you. And that's when we go to Jesus. So it renews our appetite. Church planning is part of the mission of God. It renews our appetite for the story of God. It makes us hungry for it. It makes us thirst for it. It's something really weird that happens. When people say, we want to be a part of your church plan, I think, are you crazy? What is wrong with you? But this is what Christ is doing. He's, he's, he's giving people an appetite 
for his mission, for his story, and they can't ignore it. And it's beautiful. The second thing is it renews our participation in the gospel. So it renews our appetite for the gospel. It renews our participation in the gospel. In church planning, you are focused, I think, in a saturated way. You're focused on asking questions and confronting issues that normally you might be able to kind of put on the table, uh, and table it, put it on the back burner, kind of ignore it for a season and get to some other pressing issues. But in a church plant, everything is new. And everything that you want to do has to be brought up and questioned. Tim Chester and Steve Timmis are authors. They're, they live in, in Europe, and they wrote a book called Total Church. It's one of the books that really encouraged me and, and helped guide me in the early stages. And they say that church planning cannot involve an uncritical replication of existing models. You see, church planning doesn't allow you to say, all right, we've... Let's just leave that church and just duplicate that church and those methods and those ideas and those philosophies and bring it over here into this community with an entirely different people and it'll be great. And it doesn't work. It doesn't work. And it's proven to not work because it's easy for me to just duplicate what people have done well and try to duplicate it, replicate it in, in my ministry and, and it doesn't work. There are two temptations in churches that don't invest in, in church planning. They're tempted by external conformity. You see, churches that are not passionate about duplicating or multiplying the ministry and being on mission for God and planning churches are tempted to conform to the outside, to conform to the culture. You see, they've they've been there so long, they've been there forever, they can't tell if they are influencing the culture or the culture is influencing them. They've been there for so long, they can't even tell Are we influencing the culture? The culture influencing us? Who's affecting whom here? They're so established, and in order to keep up with their presence in the community that they once had, they have to compromise on their once solid convictions. And so that's a temptation for a church to not engage in the mission of God, to just become like the culture. Another temptation is internal conformity. They conform to the the traditions of the church. They become a people that say, this is the way we've always done it. And so they're not thinking about mission. They're not thinking about where does God want to go now? Where is he moving? What area of town? What area of the country? Who is he sending out? How is the Spirit moving in this area of town? And church planning, when I say that it, it renews our participation in the gospel, I mean in part that it, church planning does a great job of resisting both of those temptations, at least at first, because when you plan a church, you're forced to re-ask questions that may have been answered a long time ago. Like, how do we minister to this specific area? What, is, what are their needs? What are their fears and their hurts and challenges in this focused community? You see, those, those answers to that question are going to be different wherever you go. How do we become a people that gather around the Word of God? Because church planning, you can say, well, we're, it's important for us to be gospel-centered. How do you do that? Well, we, we love the Bible. What does that mean? We read it. How do you get people to do that? We make them. Oh, that doesn't work. (laughs) So you're asking all these questions in a church plan from A to Z, literally. A to Z, everything. Everything. To printing bulletins, to getting people together, to the Lord's Supper, to worship, to praying. How do we worship God? How do we disciple? How do we evangelize? How do we connect with the community? How do we serve? 
What do we believe about tithing and baptism and kids and friendship and everything? You literally can't do anything in a church until you have these questions answered. And if you don't answer them well, the church plant won't go well. And in this way, good church plants can be gospel-centered without religious conformity and without relevant and, and, be, and they can be relevant without worldly conformity. Church planning helps us to rediscover the vitality of the gospel. Church planning stirs up appropriate practices for every Christian. It requires innovation, conviction, creativity, sacrifice, grace, vision, sensitivity, patience. Church planning will force people to say, okay, I know the gospel. Now it's really hard to apply it in this situation. What do I do? And as the Spirit works in a person, there really is only one direction. You have to go towards that conflict. You have to go towards that pain. You have to go towards that that difficult thing because you want to know Christ and be obedient to Him and know Him more. You go to God together, otherwise you will destroy one another. And I've seen that happen in church plants, that people that have come together with a renewed appetite for the gospel, but they have encountered conflict, and instead of applying the gospel in that pain and in that mess, they fight with one another and they destroy each other, and the church is either unhealthy or just crumbles. And this is what Paul says in our passage. He says, like a skilled master, like a skilled master builder, I laid a foundation and someone else is building upon it. And then he says, let each one take care how he builds. This process of building a church, of planning a church, requires everyone involved to scrutinize every detail of the ministry. When I, when I started, we, put, we picked together, handpicked this initial group of ten people give or take, to to be a part of that initial group. And you know what my temptation was? To pick people that were exactly like me. The key to a good church plant. Everyone is like you. The key to a healthy church. Everyone is like you. Not. But that's the temptation. That's what you want. That's what we want. Because when someone's not like you, you run into conflict. You run into pressure. You run into... Confusion. You run into so many different things. It's like a family. But I didn't. I picked people that were not like me. I picked people that actually were good at things that I was very bad at. I picked people that were bad at things that I was good at, so I could do what I wanted, you know? And I needed people that would scrutinize the process, but do it in a gracious, humble Christ-like way. Understanding their leadership, understanding that they were servant followers, that we were doing this together. It gives people opportunity to participate in gospel renew and the mission of God. Paul says, according to the grace given to me. See, Paul looked at his life and he said, there's something that God's called me to. And he's given me a portion so that I might consider how might I use what God has given me. How might I use the, what, what grace that Christ has given to me. And church planning does a good job of that. Because what it does is it asks everybody, and I've asked every single person who's been a part of our church, 
Ask God, what are you good at? And how are you going to participate in this mission? A question that we ask people all the time, even from the pulpit and throughout our, our, our conversations, is to be a part of the mission of God, to be on mission with God, it's to ask ourselves, how can the mundane things of my life engage in the mission of God? How could we come up with an opportunity to get every Christian in the church to ask that question? Make them be part of a church plant. Encourage them to be part of a church plant. They'll ask that question. If it's led well and they're, and they're faithfully pursuing God together, they're going to have to ask that question. What grace has God given to me and how can I apply it? to be on mission with God? How can I help? How has God specifically gifted me to be on mission? You know what? I ask that same question to you. Because not only church planners and church plants should ask that question, but all of us, part of God's body, on mission with God, should ask ourselves, how do the mundane things of my life participate and engage in the mission of God? I'm asking you, with maybe no intention of being a part of a church plant, I want you to participate in God's mission. Like Paul, how he says, according to the grace that God has given to me, like a skilled master builder, this is what I'm going to do. Look at the grace that God has given to you. Look at the story that he has brought you to be a part of. He's brought you to be a part of that, that story. He's given you an appetite for his gospel so that you might ask yourself, according to the grace of God given to me, what can I do? How can I participate? Church planning is a great way to work that out. And lastly, church planning is so good, such a part of God's mission, because it renews our motivation to pursue God's glory. Paul continues and says this in verse 12 in our passage. Now, if anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each one's work will become manifest, for the day will disclose it, because it will be revealed by fire, and the fire will test what sort of work each has done. The work, has, the work that anyone has built on the foundation survives, he'll receive a reward. If anyone, anyone's work is burned up, he'll suffer loss. Though he himself will be saved, but only as through fire. This is part of the passage that terrifies me. And I, and I think it should terrify all of us. This is part of the passage that says, If I make my life about my glory, there is going to be great grief and sorrow ahead for me. It cautions us as Christians to ask ourselves, what is my motivation? What is my motivating work? What is compelling me and pushing me to do anything that I do? If it is, or is it, is it a hidden agenda to have a, a, a church finally like the one you've always imagined? Is it, is it to have a church just like the one you grew up in? Are we motivated by the praise of others? Are we building a church for the fame of man, to be popular in our town, to have great glory and prestige? What motivates us? Our motivation should be in the glory of God. And Paul says, we, if we build on our foundation, he says, be careful 
how you build. If we build with our own means, with our own glory, with our own motivation, then that work will come to light and we will be shamed. We will grieve. We'll be sorry. We will regret. We'll weep for it. But if we build on Christ and are motivated by His glory, and what that means is that we live our lives to advance His reputation. And when we do that, we will enjoy the advancement of His reputation. We will enjoy the work that has been done. We will enjoy the fruit that has been born because of our work. It means that the end of all we do is for God's glory, not ours. It means that we use the things that we use to get us there. The means of, by which we use are God's wisdom, His power, and not ours. And it means our motivation for engaging in God's mission is the pleasure and glory of God. Today, church planners are really seen as, in most circles, as mysterious Gluttons for punishment. (laughs) Why would you do that, you weird person? Why would you plan a church? It's a unique breed. I believe that we can be and should be in a culture where church planning is the norm. And a pastor that stays in his pulpit for 30 years is weird. A weird breed, unique, mysterious. Sorry, Steve. You got a timeline, man. You got a, you got a shelf life. I've been here for three years planning a church, and I'm ready to do it again. But my wife won't let me. But I'd be ready to do it again. Church planning should be the norm. It shouldn't be this weird phenomenon. It shouldn't be this thing that says, now what is that again? How does one do that? Can we have that vision? Can we have that, that desire? Can we have an appetite? To see a culture of God's people where church planning is so normal that all of us have been a part of it at one time, know someone who is, has given money to it, has given time and energy and resources and expertise and talent and ability to church planning. That'd be great. And I invite you to be a part of that. Many of you are already. Church planning is a, is a vital instrument in God's mission because it renews our appetite for the gospel story. It renews our appetite to think, Christ, what have you done for me? And how have I forgotten that? It renews our participation in the gospel, thinking about how should we do this? How do we go about living our life being on mission for God? What am I good at? God, what grace have you given to me so that I can use for your glory? And it renews our motivation for God's glory. So that we can come and say, God, everything that we do, we know is not for us. Because if it were for us, we wouldn't be doing this. But we passionately seek and pursue you. Thank you for investing in church planning. Thank you for investing in me and our our work over there. Continue to do it. God will build his church. Jesus will build his church. And the gates of hell will not be able to overthrow it. That's the confidence we have. That's the promise we've been given. We can go and be bold and be excited and be renewed in our heart and our mind to be a part of God's mission. Let's pray together. Our Heavenly Father, 
you've pulled back the curtain from time to time to see, to let us see this beautiful mission of yours, to see this picture that you have for all the world, for people to know your story, to know of the gospel story that although we are far off from you, although we are sinners, that we have been adopted and brought into your family and filled with your spirit and restored into a bond of of unity and friendship with you. Lord, would you help us to be renewed in our heart, knowing that this is for us, that this that we are your beloved, that this story has been brought to us as a church and also as individuals, that we are people in need of your grace. That you have taken us out of the, out of the pit and out of the deep and you've forgiven us. We have not deserved it. We have not earned it. And at times we definitely have not sought it. Lord, renew our appetite for that gospel story. Renew our hunger and our thirst for you. Lord, would you renew our participation in your mission? That each of us would consider our unique giftedness, the grace that you've given to us to enable us and empower us to to have special ability, to have special talents and special perspectives and motivations to to bless your church, to build up your body. Lord, none of us, not a single one of us are innocent, bystanders, useless, disposable. Every one of us, you, are, are, you call us spiritual stones, living stones that you use to build your church. Help us to remember that. And Lord, in all that we do, whether we eat, drink, or anything we do, let us do it for the glory of God. In Jesus' name, amen.